Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. While it's very difficult for an organization as a collective to have an empathy for a customer, unless you've got an incredible culture, it is much easier to have individuals within that organization to have empathy for a customer or customer's experience. I always remember when I was back at British Telecom that my uh, boss used to come up with more and more measures. I used to sit there and think to myself, yeah, these measures are okay, but which ones are we stopping? And you're completing a monthly report that is massive and nobody's paying any attention to it. In your marketing plan, that's strategic level thinking, right? It's not about going out and and pushing and, and getting sales. Those are all very tactical and they're very important. But unless we've got a larger strategy, it's not going to do us any good. And the same holds for data. So, Ryan, you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, we had David from the American Customer Satisfaction Index on the show. Yes. And there was one stat that David used that I thought was really powerful. He said that between 2010 and 2019, only a third of organizations that they monitor, and they monitor a number of them, had improved their customer experience. Do you remember that one? Yes, kind of a great stagnation happening in customer experience. Yeah, the killer is that that was at a time before COVID, and that was at a time when lots of organizations have been putting lots of resources in customer experience. And it really surprised me that only a third of organizations had seen any improvements. And I was chatting to a guest that we've got on the show today, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hi, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, thank you. Ryan is the co-founder and CEO of Capiche. And Capiche are an experience intelligence company. And Ryan has been in the customer experience space for the last five years. Before that, his background has been technology and almost 15 years in natural language processing. So Ryan knows a lot about this stuff. And we were having a really interesting conversation about the state of customer experience and why only a third of organizations had improved their customer experience. And given that Ryan's company, Capisha, are in this whole customer experience space and measurement of customer experience, I thought I'd get Ryan on the show and have a chat with him about this. So welcome, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. appreciate the opportunity. Not at all. I don't know if I can jump in here and, and just suggest that since both of us are named Ryan, perhaps I can be referred to as Bruce throughout the <laughs> just, just for the sake of clarity. Are we going into that Monty Python sketch now? Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I do appreciate that we're, the Ryans are now winning on the podcast, and I'll, uh, I'll take some satisfaction in that. The beauty of my favorite Ryan is he has an Australian accent. That's right. never go wrong so welcome Ryan thank you so what's your thought on where customer experience is and that stat that I just talked about why is it so relevant well to me anyway about you know only a third of organizations that have improved their customer experience pre-pandemic I think there was 
two points that I took away from from your interview with David that really resonated with me and I hypothesize perhaps resonates with other people as well. And the first one that he mentioned was there just being an overwhelming amount of data now available when it comes to trying to understand and interpret the customer experience. And I think we've probably seen, you know, we're at a unique moment in the world where people have all of a sudden started probably paying more attention to data in their everyday lives and they're looking at things like case numbers and, and hospitalization rates. And perhaps people have developed an understanding for this idea that numbers can lie and you can contort numbers to tell almost any story that you want you want them to tell. You'd think that having a plethora of data available to to understand and interpret something would in fact be a good scenario. And I think it certainly should be a good scenario. But I think the downside of having so much data and so much information is that it can lead to to a case of almost like analysis paralysis, right? Without some very definite and well-considered strategy around how you're instrumenting the organization to make best use of the data that's available to you and being strategic about how you use that data, you can end up being in a, in a place where you can tell almost any story with the data that you want to tell because there is no considered strategy in place. So that was the first bit that really resonated with me. The second bit was, and I'm going to paraphrase David's words here a little bit, the second bit was essentially measurement for measurement's sake. And I think that's something that I've certainly picked up on and it was it was one of the things that kind of led me to start Capiche because I think certainly one framing of it is measurement for measurement's sake. But I think another framing of it is people are measuring because they know they need to be and because they do genuinely care about trying to understand what is the customer experience that they deliver. What I found is that it's not necessarily through lack of will or, or lack of motivation that they want to get beyond measuring into the why or into the understanding, you know, the drivers behind that measure. It's more so a case of there's just a real lack of ability to do it well, not necessarily ability from a individual perspective, more so an ability from a tooling perspective and from a technology perspective. Yeah. I'm shocked by the number of companies and people that I speak to who are measuring, do genuinely care about customer experience, feel like they have no other options. So they are, and credit to them because I've, I've tried to do this myself and it is mind-numbing, they are manually processing large amounts of, of qualitative data. Think of a process that a PhD candidate in psychology might go through. They are manually tagging data. They are combing through unbelievable amounts of data on a weekly basis to try and get a handle on, okay, so we know what the score is, but actually what's the driver of the score? What are the, what are the human behaviours that we need to understand about our customer base in order to have a very thorough understanding for what's driving the score and therefore a very thorough understanding for what we as a business can do about this? Yeah, no, I think both those points are, are right. I think it goes back to confirmation bias, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think it's kind of, I mean, perfect storm might be overstating it a little bit, but I just think it's it's the sign of the modern times, right? When you think to your life as a consumer 10 years ago and you compare it to your life as a consumer now, and, you know, thanks to the world 
the current world circumstance, you even think of your life as a consumer three years ago and you consider it to your life as a consumer now, whether that is actually as a household consumer or or even as a business consumer consuming technologies on behalf of the organization that you work for. The relationship that you have with the organizations that you re- interact with, whether it be in your personal life or your professional life, they are overwhelmingly in uh, large numbers converting to digital interactions, right? And the number of in-person interactions is diminishing. The thing about digital interactions is it suddenly reduces the barrier down for these organizations that are orchestrating these interactions to collect data and to elicit feedback, right? And platforms and ways of doing business that didn't exist 10 years ago are almost now front and center. I'm not sure when, for example, Zendesk or Freshworks were founded as companies, but I'm willing to bet it was in the last 15 to 20 years. Before then, it was call centers, it was going to a store and get support. Post them, it is live chat to an agent, it is send an email to get support, it is still perhaps make a call, but that call is transcribed and stored in their CRM system or some other system. So it's just led to this exponential explosion in the amount of data these organizations are collecting. You have to be very, very deliberate, very considered in your strategy and and have quite a large degree of forethought to be an organization that has dealt with that explosion of digital data in a way that has meant that you are positioned to better understand the customer and deliver optimal customer insights. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted here, but there's there's a stat around this that I, that I always love to quote from Salesforce. And it is in the survey sample that Salesforce did, and I'm pretty sure this report was published 2020 or 2019. I'm not sure, but I'm sure we could probably put it in the show notes. Eight out of 10 consumers surveyed say that the experience that a brand or a, or a product delivers to them was as important to them as that product or service itself. Yeah, yeah. And that's at the heart of the experience economy and all those things. I think the issue for me is that whilst we've got massive more data around, we haven't improved the way that we look at that data or the interpretation of that data. So you're more than aware that on this show, we're looking at the whole area of behavioral science the word I like is the is the lens, or, you know, which lens are you looking through? And I don't believe that organizations have matured in the way or the lens that they are looking at the data through. So they're using the same lens that they used 20 years ago. And because of that, they're effectively, and to your point, are coming up with the same result that they did 20 years ago. I mean, I think firms are getting better at this, but slowly and haltingly. I, I mean, some of the some of the points that Ryan raised earlier, I think, are worth repeating and emphasizing. There's this romance around numbers and data where we assume that all we need is to just get the data and then the data will clearly tell a story and we will know exactly what's going on and we'll know exactly how to respond to it. That romance does not last long when you're confronted with actual data, which is almost, even if it's even if you're not overwhelmed by it, and I agree that we tend to be nowadays, even when you're not, even when you've got just a kind of a limited set of data, it's almost always extremely messy. It's almost always very confusing. And we hope to gain some insights from it. But then we also hope, often we just assume that those insights are kind of permanent and that the next data set we get in will tell the same story and won't tell something different. So 
as important as it is to, and I think this was a point that Ryan was making um, that I wouldn't mind circling back to because I think it's super important. It's not enough to just gather data. You actually need to be strategic about it and have a plan for what you're going to do with the data and how you're going to get those insights from from out of those masses of data and, and how you're going to improve on that going forward. So it, it's it's a problem and it's it's more complex than we often assume that it is going into it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, and there's an aspect of this that I find particularly interesting, right? To kind of to kind of double down on the points that you've both made. I think five or ten years ago there was a narrative that started to be pushed around the business world. And I'm sure you guys have heard this phrase before. It's the democratization of data, right? And the idea was I'm not saying this is invalid, by the way. I'm sure it has use case. In fact, I'm almost certain it does. But the idea was you need to remove these bottlenecks in your organization from people being able to self-serve. You you need to deploy platforms and deploy technologies such that people can go and get the data themselves and find the information that they need to. And, of course, there's very easy to to understand and demonstrably good use cases of that paradigm. But what I find interesting is that in the use cases we're talking about right now, that paradigm actually falls down, right? This idea that you can just collect all of this data and then if you do a good job of democratizing access to this data, then you're going to get the insights and all of a sudden you're going to be a data-driven organization. When it comes to interpreting experience data, I actually think that is incorrect. And there is uh, there's something that I like to talk about a lot internally at Capiche that I kind of try to drum into to all of my colleagues, which is the, I'm not sure what the exact right terminology for this is, but it's there is one. I just don't know it off the top of my head. I like to call it kind of the knowledge pyramid, which is this idea that it's a pyramid with four layers, right? And at the bottom of it, you've got data. As you put some order on data and, and organize it appropriately, it transforms into to information and then as you put more effort into interpreting that information it transforms into knowledge and then as you use that knowledge and interpret it in the context of the organization it, it finally transforms into wisdom and and wisdom is the highest form of of that pyramid and is the highest value to the organization or to the individual that's gone through that transformation of data into wisdom and that transformation doesn't just happen by democratizing data in fact I would argue in this particular use case of of what we're talking about here, which is taking experience data and interpreting it and understanding what it means for the organization, the democratization to the raw data actually has the opposite effect. And I'd argue what you really need to be aiming for is the democratization of knowledge, not of data. And you almost need a system where the knowledge that you're gaining as an organization based on the data that you're collecting and the analysis and interpretation that's happening by skilled individuals with a very clear strategy and outcome in mind needs to be stored somewhere so that knowledge can be accessed by people, by different business units, so they can use that knowledge to adjust how they're operating. I think that's really key insight. I mean, Colin raised a point earlier about sometimes organizations not having the right data or not looking at it the right way, like from a behavioral standpoint, you know, not including emotional data and that kind of thing. I think you're raising the point that even within the organization, there are these behavioral science insights where people will be biased in the way that they look at raw data. We, we tend to, when we're overwhelmed with data, the easiest thing for us to do is to just focus on a part of it. 
And that is a bias and that can lead to some real negative outcomes. So yeah, the idea that the data itself is almost always not that useful until it's been kind of processed appropriately and run through the, the appropriate statistical models. We've seen, we've all experienced the, the unfortunate side effects of too much data in the general public where you get all of this misinformation about topics and, and people are just confused and so they focus on the wrong thing. The same things can absolutely happen within your organization. I think it's a great point. We've already seen this play out, right? And I don't mean to frame what I'm about to say in, in a negative way. I don't think this was intentional. I think it was just it was just the natural evolution of a process. But we've all can think of examples where an organization has, with probably the best intentions in mind, decided to make a customer experience metric, you know, let's just choose one at random, net promoter score, for example, make net promoter score a key KPI for a particular job function and chosen to remunerate that job function based on the net promoter scores. And they spin up dashboards, they put them in the hands of those frontline employees that are comped on net promoter score. And when you run that game to its conclusion, what you find and what has actually happened in the real world is, and I won't name the company, the employees went to the effort of spinning up a subreddit on the Reddit social media platform to talk about strategies on, on the best way to make sure that they hand out the net promoter score surveys and what they would consider optimally because for them, optimally is they get the highest score and therefore get the remuneration, right? So optimally for them is make sure you don't get a low score. Stand next to the person when they fill out the survey. Try and avoid giving surveys to people that you know are, are angry or agitated if you can so that you can get that highest number and therefore get the best remuneration for your job title. When you run it to a conclusion, when you, you really take democratizing CX data all the way to its extreme, I think that's where you end up. I think that um, I'm increasingly convinced that the thing that separates us from animals is our ability to game the system. Like that's that's the <laughs> most human characteristic. Is give us a set of rules, we will find a way to game those yeah. rules. That's what we yeah. do. I think that's definitely human nature, isn't it? We wanted to thank everybody for listening. You are great and the reason we do this. We're really pleased that we now have over 200 episodes. We've seen the podcast grow and grow. And now, according to Buzzsprout, it is in the top 5% of all podcasts globally. Thank you. That is truly amazing and not possible without you. But we have one request of you. Can you please tell a friend, a neighbor, or even someone you hate? It would be really good to get more listeners, and it encourages Ryan and I to continue to produce the show. So please... Just tell a friend. Let me ask you a question. One of the challenges that we have is we present this piece of research called an emotional signature to clients, and that looks at the emotional side of a customer experience. And one of the challenges that we have, which goes back to your first point, uh, which is around the whole area of confirmation bias, which effectively is that uh, people are looking for the results that confirm their view of the world and looking at it through this old pair of eyes, these old lenses from 20 years ago. We have to spend time on educating them on what new lens they should be looking at things through and why that's important today, uh, and even look down to the methodology that we use. 
And you know as well as I do that when people look at a piece of data and it doesn't tell them what they think it should tell them, but confirms their view of the world, then they start uh, debating whether the methodology that was used is correct. So I, I guess my question is, how do, how do you deal with that challenge? How do you put that to a company to get them to see the light? That this different approach to looking at data is the right one? Yeah, great question. I have a two-part answer to that question. And, and the first part of the answer is probably the less flattering part, which is ultimately, while we'd like to think that organizations focus on CX because they genuinely care about customer outcomes. And, and I think when you consider it at the individuals at organizations level, that's certainly the case, but it's very hard for an organization to have a collective brain that thinks that way. Ultimately, organizations are motivated to care about customer experience because it's what their customers care about. And organizations ultimately, by and large, have to care about the bottom line. So the first tactic I've always found when it comes to trying to, to change how organizations are thinking is to demonstrate that doing this will lead to better commercial outcomes. And, and that's the obvious one. And the second part to that is, while it's very difficult for an organization as a collective to have an empathy for a customer, unless you've got an incredible culture, it is much easier to have individuals within that organization to have empathy for a customer or a customer's experience. So while when customer insights analysts or researchers or the like use our software to find insights, while those insights are at a macro level, I've often found that the best way to present those insights is to take a storytelling approach, often grounded in the experience of an individual customer. So while the insight might be there is this overarching shortcoming or overarching strategic direction that we need to go to improve the customer experience, while that might be the overall message of the insight, the delivery on the insight should focus on, and here is how to borrow a very great name I heard earlier in this podcast, here is how this is specifically affecting Bruce. Here's how Bruce interacted <laughs> with us. Here is how we made Bruce feel based on how we designed our customer journey and the experience that we're delivering. And here's what we could do to improve the experience that Bruce is having. And by the way, there's thousands of Bruce's that interact with our company every day and it's going to have this commercial impact if we do, if we make this decision. Yeah, yeah. I think that's definitely human nature, isn't it? So building on that, your your second point here was about, which I think is a great one, which is about building on measurement for measurement's sake. I always remember when I was back at British Telecom that my uh, boss used to come up with more and more measures. I used to sit there and think to myself, yeah, these measures are okay, but which ones are we stopping? And you're completing a monthly report that is massive and nobody's paying any attention to it. So how do you get over the message of it's not about quantity, it's about quality? And these are the measures that you shouldn't worry about anymore. That's an interesting framing. And I, I think from my own perception, at least, I think that's partially true. And I, and I love this thinking of which of these measures are we going to drop? We have a set of overarching KPIs or measures that we look at. We have two that we really care about that we call North Star metrics. And then we have perhaps another five that we track as an organization and publish at an organization level. And then I would encourage every business unit to think to themselves, not how am I going to optimize that measure? Instead, what is the inputs that your business unit has direct control over 
that go into influencing those numbers that the company cares about at an overall level. And when you think about those inputs, they will generally end up coming out with secondary measures, right? They will be things that that business unit can measure that are inputs into the thing that the company cares about. So I think 100% at any individual business unit or any or at a company overall, too many measures is is almost a symptom of what I spoke about at the very top, right? Yeah. Analysis paralysis and having too much data. But I think having cascading measures as they go down uh, the organizational structure has its benefits. That then poses an interesting problem for the people that are responsible for developing this knowledge about the customer experience at the organization, right? If a business has each of its different business units have a whole bunch of different numbers that they care about, then you could have a very busy customer insight analyst trying to find interpretations and understanding for all those numbers. So I think it's important for the organization to have a way that it measures customer experience and that way that it measures customer experience needs to be needs to permeate through the entire organization. And each of the business units need to be thinking about what are the inputs that we have control over that influence this overall customer experience measure? And therefore, how do we measure those inputs? What that then means is when the insights or the research or whatever department at an organization is publishing insights into the company metric on how they measure customer experience, they should still then be useful to all of the different business units. The challenge then for the customer insights analyst is how do I package up insights to a business unit so that it's expressed in a way that's going to drive them to action? And the way for them to accomplish that is to understand how that business unit is thinking about the inputs that they control that contributes to the increasing of the metric of the the customer experience. I've seen this done very well at some organizations. I'm not a fan, nor am I a detractor of Net Promoter Score. I simply see it as a particular tool in the toolkit. But the example that I'm thinking of is this business has done a regression analysis to figure out how much is each point of Net Promoter Score worth to them in revenue. And that's a model that they're constantly reassessing to make sure that it's accurate. And because they can say to the business, hey, each point of net promoter score is worth, for argument's sake, a million dollars in revenue to the company, they then get permission to really focus on how do we improve this overarching net promoter score. Now, in reality, when it comes to the work that they're doing and the insights that they're providing, they're not just taking in net promoter score surveys and analyzing them and saying, well, we need to do X to do better. They're taking in a whole range of different data sources about the customer experience and, and producing insights on them but with the knowledge of how do these different data sources and how do these different points of the of the customer journey influence this overall net promoter score. Yeah, and I, you know what? I think that's one of the biggest weaknesses that there is out there. I am constantly surprised that organizations still can't articulate that if they improve their net promoter score by X, they're going to get Y. And I think that's a real failing. Yeah, absolutely. And then the next step of that is I'm surprised by organizations that will say, I'm going to have to provide context to this after I say it, because when I say it, people are going to fall off their chair. I'm surprised that organizations say that each step of the customer journey is important and we need to be delighting at every step of the journey. Now, I don't disagree with that holistically. Of course, absolutely, you should have a a goal and a, 
and a driving force as an organization to delight at every point of the customer journey. But I guarantee you that if you instrument your customer journey and you measure each step of the customer journey of those points that matter in some way so that you can compare each point of the journey to each other, you will find that there are points in the customer journey that are more important than other points in the journey when it comes to the ultimate behaviors that you want from your customers. Therefore, yes, as a holistic saying, of course, try and delight at every step of the journey. But when it comes to actual fiscal considerations, you should be investing more in certain points of the journey and less in other points of the journey because those points of the journey are more deterministic for the behaviors that you want from your customers. I think people are mad that say that. I mean, you just can't afford it. How can you afford to delight your customer every part of your journey? It's madness. But there you go. Well, maybe people weren't going to fall off their chairs then. I'm glad you've got a strong opinion on it. <laughs> Colin straps himself into the chair before every podcast just yeah. so that it's not a risk, just so we don't need to worry about it. Just to emphasize this and tie back to what was said earlier, everything in this conversation over the last five minutes it goes back to this idea that you need to be strategic in your measurement. You can imagine that there are various parts in the customer journey that are important and there are various parts in the customer journey that are easy to measure, right? There are certain stages of the customer journey where it's really easy to drop in a survey and then you can pick up what people are, are thinking at that point. There are other stages of the customer journey where it may be really hard to get at what people are thinking at that point. And if those two are misaligned, then what you've got is easy to access data that isn't very diagnostic of anything important. And if you just go out and start measuring and start collecting data, then it's really easy to fall into that trap. What you've been laying out, Ryan, is a more strategic perspective. Like, what do we actually want? What are we going to do with this? How is this information going to roll up into other information that we're getting? And that never falls naturally out of a data set. Like, that that always requires planning. That always requires a strategy. Um, and when firms do that well, it ends up going very well for them and, and too many firms don't. Yeah, Bruce, I couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> Thank you. I do like that, Bruce. We're definitely going to have to change that, Ryan. Uh, I mean, it, it can only improve my overall toughness and reputation, I think. Well, let me tell you, mate, nothing can make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I quite like the name Ryan for what it's worth. We, we all have strategies, Colin. Mine is to bottom them <laughs> out and then improve from there. <laughs> Okay, so let's wrap this up with some practical stuff. So, Ryan, at the end of the show, we always like to ask our guests what you could do practically. You know, it's been all interesting stuff, but so what? What does it mean that it can go away and do? So, Bruce, I love calling you Bruce. What do you think we should go away and do? Uh, thank you. Um, I'll just reemphasize what I just barely said. This idea of, of strategic thinking is good advice for anything you're doing in life and in business. Too often we get focused on the tactics, on the problems immediately in front of us, right? There's a tactical problem of measurement, like how are you going to design the instrument? Who's going to measure that for you? Who's going to get the data? Who's going to analyze it? And all of that stuff is important, but unless it serves some larger end, it's not going to do us the good that we need it to, right? We've, we've talked about the importance of segmentation and targeting and in in your marketing plan that's strategic level thinking right it's not about going out and, and pushing and, and getting sales those are all very tactical and they're very important but unless we've got a larger strategy 
it's not going to do us any good. And the same holds for data, right? What is the strategic aim we want out of this data? I'll encourage people to go back and listen to that five-minute exchange, mostly between Colin and Ryan talking about kind of the strategic importance of using data in this way. I think I think it was great and just chock full of really good, specific advice. Good. Ryan, your thoughts? Well, first of all, it's a tough act to follow. Secondly, I just want to double down on the comments regarding strategy. Absolutely. That's extremely important. From my point of view, I would challenge people to start thinking about the insights that are being produced. So I say this with the assumption that you've listened to Bruce's advice and sorted out your strategy. Right. I will never not find that funny, by the way. Keep going, keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Once you've got that accomplished, I want to challenge people to start thinking about this idea that the insights that an organization produces, you know, the customer insights team or the research team or whomever is responsible for this, I want to challenge people to start thinking about that as an asset to the organization where its value can almost be measured. And just as you wouldn't go leaving the cash that a business accumulates laying around the office, you need to have, again, to borrow that word, a strategy around how you're accumulating that knowledge, where you're storing that knowledge, and how you're making that knowledge available to other people at the organization. You also need to have a strategy around even within the insights or the research team. You're not starting from a blank slate every time that you go looking for answers in data. If your insights or research team has been around for six months, a year, two years, you have accumulated knowledge in that time. And it'd be very remiss of you to present insights or knowledge to a business recommending a particular action without looking back on the knowledge and the insights that you've accumulated previously and consulting that before presenting what you give to the organization. Yeah, no, that that makes a great deal of sense. The only thing I would add is the maturity of the lens. You need to start maturing the way that you look at the data. So you need to start looking at things through more emotional data, some more behavioral style of lens. So, Ryan, thanks very much for coming on the show. It's been really, really been interesting. If people want to get hold of you, then how do they do that? The best way is probably via LinkedIn. I'm sure we can put the the link to that in the show notes. The other way is Twitter, but I'm really not a fanatic Twitter user, but there is a way to reach me on Twitter. So that's, that's plan B if you are a Twitter native. Right. Well, we'll put both of those in the show notes. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's been really interesting. And I think some really good pearls of wisdom. So thank you very much and look forward to talking to everybody next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.